Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. All this talk of interest rates brings forth a simple question. How much should it cost to borrow money? Clearly, the answer is, it depends. On today's show, we're going to break down the lending market into its constituent components and examine each of them independently. The lender is the loan originator. They're the folks who underwrite the loan. The loan servicer is the one who collects the interest. And then there's the investor who sets an interest rate at which they're willing to lend money and it's up to the loan originator to find a borrower with the correct risk profile that meets the risk tolerance of the investor. Investors in the bond market, they're also lenders. So when a bank lends money to a borrower, they have to be mindful of the bond buyer who's ultimately going to securitize the debt. Back in the old days, banks would take in deposits and depending on the amount held in deposit, the bank would lend accordingly. But over the past 20 years, we've seen an increasing amount of shadow banking. This is where the banks sell their debt and bond offerings in the commercial mortgage-backed securities market. This takes the loans off the bank's balance sheet and allows the bank to originate more loans. Banks make money on the differential between the interest rate on their loan portfolio and the interest paid to depositors, but multiply that by the bank's leverage. So, for example, if a bank is charging 5% interest to its borrowers, and they pay 1% interest to their depositors, they collect 5% interest multiplied by the bank leverage, which in the United States is 10% reserve, which means you'd collect 9 times 5% or 45%, and then they pay out 1% for a net profit of 44% on the funds on deposit. Seems like a pretty good gig, and it is. But the banks ultimately want to get those loans off their balance sheet so that they can originate more loans. Why is that? Well, imagine if they only got paid an origination fee at the beginning of the loan. They want to get that origination fee in addition to the interest rate. But if you sign a 30-year loan, then those funds don't become available for lending again until the loan matures. That means the bank gets to collect the origination fee once every 30 years. But if they sell the loan into the secondary market, they can put that exact same money back to work again and collect a new origination fee in addition to the interest on the loan the faster they recirculate that money into the secondary market, the more origination fees they can collect. Private lenders are different from banks in that they don't have leverage. They can only lend out the money that they have in their immediate possession. These lenders lend to private equity firms, private mortgage investment companies, and they purchase bonds. Private loan originators want to keep the loans recirculating as well. The originator gets paid an origination fee and the loan interest gets paid to the investors in the mortgage fund. If the loan term is too long, the same problem. The originator stops collecting fees and eventually goes out of business. So private lenders like shorter term loans so they can continue collecting origination fees. Here too, the interest rate is determined by the risk premium that's attached to the borrower by the lender. I believe we're about to experience another liquidity crisis in the U.S. and elsewhere in the world. Now, if you're not convinced, then ask yourself a simple question. If the currency is being devalued, at a rate of 8.6% per year, our currently formally stated inflation rate, would you be willing to lend money to a borrower at, say, 5%? No? Well, how about 6%? How about 7%? Still no? How high would interest rates need to be for you to lend funds to a low-risk borrower on a low-risk project? You've probably figured out by now that the private lenders and investors are in search of higher yield in order to compensate for the higher rate of inflation and to compensate for any risk premium attached to the borrower. So if private lenders are not injecting liquidity into the market, 
then the only lender left is the lender of last resort, and that's the central bank. And when a central bank buys assets that the rest of the market will not buy, that's a reflection of the fact that there's a distortion underway in the market. Private investors are giving feedback to the market that says, you need to pay me a higher rate of return for me to part with my money given the risk that you're asking me to take. The government is resisting raising interest rates to what the market's demanding. And at that point, there's two choices. Either the central bank steps in and injects liquidity in the market at below market rates or liquidity dries up. You see, every investment has a risk premium associated with it. Some borrowers are seen as lower risk and therefore they command a lower interest rate. It makes sense that German government bonds would have a lower risk premium than, say, Italy. It makes sense that municipal bonds in, say, Plano, Texas, would be perceived as lower risk than Detroit. In this world, in the real world, it's the investors who dictate the risk premium associated with an investment. It actually doesn't matter what the bond issuer puts on the face value of the bond's coupon. If the interest rate is too low, then the market will only offer to purchase the bond at a discount to its face value. The longer central banks keep interest rates below the rate of inflation, the more they'll be forced to buy debt that the rest of the market doesn't want. In that world, the Fed doesn't set the interest rate. As you think about that, have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.